Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we explore what it means to be a well-rounded, happy, goal-crushing athlete. Every week, myself, sports journalist Molly Herford, and cycling coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford interview experts and chat through all of your training questions. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Peter, how's it going? It's going well. Yeah, we had a fun week. We were at the largest 24-hour event, uh, bike race, I guess, event. Probably not bigger than some of the car races, but 24-hour bike race, the Chico 24 Hours, uh, and it was the 25th anniversary for our friends at Chico Racing. Uh, So this is in southern Ontario, just north of Toronto. Yeah, to be clear, we were not racing. We did, it's actually been like very difficult to say we were at a race and weren't racing. It's like very confusing for people, I think. But we were actually there with our good friends at Payable, which is uh, this really cool thing that we've been doing some work with. It's a software that allows you to get paid within a Google form, which is surprisingly like a thing that you don't really think of like not being able to do, but you can't. But with this plugin, you can. And it's like we've used it for our jersey orders and stuff like that. And it's been awesome. And yeah, we've gotten to do a little bit of work with them. They decided they wanted to do a uh, midnight oasis at the 24 hours. So we had this really cool art light installation, uh, courtesy of our friend Jordan Shaw. Really cool. He had these like orbs that lit up and we had uh, DJ station. We had maple syrup shots. Although I think yelling shots in the dark really throws people off. Um, people were either like pleasantly surprised when they stopped and realized it was maple syrup or like pretty disappointed when they stopped and it was just maple syrup. Uh, but yes, good times had by all. And it was fun being on just that like volunteer side of racing. So honestly, for, for our audience, I would say like, we've talked about this before, but if you haven't done any kind of like crewing or volunteering at races, it is so much fun. It's like all the pressure of racing is just gone. You just get to hang out with your friends. Uh, you know, you get to be part of the community. It's what we say if you're injured or like taking a break from racing, like you don't have to completely be away from that uh, vibe. So reminder to everyone that volunteering is fun. Well, and today, one of our questions is around recovery after races and between races. And that's, you know, again, some of us like, you know, it is our main social uh, outlet. And, and so this is a way, you know, one of the answers is just don't race so much and then you recover better between them uh, as a spoiler. So maybe this is, you know, a great way to volunteer at these. And, and certainly the event organizers are always looking for volunteers. But yeah, we had a, a few, at least one client who uh, she was supporting another uh, friend, I guess, who. Uh, yeah, shout out to Carrie for doing the 24-hour solo. Yeah, I was trying to keep it anonymous, but there you go. I mean, I'm going <laughs> to shout this one from the rooftop. Yeah, she won the 24 hours. 24-hour solo with a unicorn headband on her helmet the entire time. I don't know how that thing didn't fall off, but wildly impressive. Um, and super good attitude, too. Even, even you know, 20 hours in when we saw her last, just smiling, eating Timbits. Life was good. Uh, so, yeah, just really, really fun to see and, you know, super cool to, to see all different all different people out there because it was teams for the 24-hour for a lot of people. So, you know, for many people, they only did three or four laps. You had all kinds of riders out. It's just a very, very cool event. Super. So last plug for Payable there. This is our friends. They are people who have are in the cycling community as well. And so Payable apps, if you're ever, you know, you're a teacher trying to do pizza day or you're doing an event, we use it for our local club uses it just for their membership. So really anything you can use a Google form, very easy to collect uh, a payment that way and then keeps fees lows and commitment low. So friends over at Payable apps, they're on Instagram and then certainly in the Google workspace mm-hmm. as well. Cool. All right. But 
Okay, so last week we realized at the 24 hour we had people coming up and asking how how my race went. And we've posted a little bit about it on Instagram, but I had the Leadville Trail Marathon a couple weeks ago and we had pre-recorded uh, last week's podcast intro before the race um, because, you know, we just didn't want to have to, we were driving. Uh, we didn't want to have to be dealing with that on the road. And frankly, I figured it was probably better to pre-record a positive intro and have that that episode go smoothly versus uh, if my race hadn't gone great and I was in a dark place last week. Fortunately, the race went uh, really well and yeah, just really happy with everything. Um, I don't know how happy Peter is because now we have to go back to Leadville next year. I'm officially signed up for the Leadville 2024 100 miler running and not biking. Um, And yeah, I am really happy. I finished in the top 10 in the women and second in my age group and had a very solid negative split race, which makes perfect sense because I'm a lot better at going downhill than I am going uphill. And the last half of the course was still a lot of climbing, but uh, it was basically three big climbs with the second climb being split on like the first 13 miles were finishing the second climb. And then the back half of the race started with coming down a massive descent. So it makes perfect sense that I was (laughs) stronger on that. Uh, so I got to, to pass a few people on that back half, which was definitely a more fun way to, I think, do a marathon. Probably not the most tactically brilliant way to do a marathon, but I definitely do better when I can reel people in versus when I'm getting chased. Um, that's actually maybe what I learned about myself this past weekend is uh, I'm better when I can be chasing someone. I'm less good when I know there's someone behind me trying to catch me. It definitely... I'm sure a lot of people feel this way. It it starts stressing me out. I'm thinking about it too much. I'm, you know, getting into my own head. So there's definitely that. Um, but the the big thing that a couple of people were asking about was, oh, man, a few people have been asking me about how altitude was. So this was my first time literally ever at anything over, what is Boulder, like 5,000 feet? I think they call it the Mile High City. So That's not Boulder. When? That's Denver. Oh, so, yeah, okay. I don't know. Ha. Uh, I've been in Boulder once before uh, for Cyclocross Nationals 10 years ago now, nine years ago, whenever it was in, in Boulder. And I had raced that very, very poorly. Uh, looking back, it was less about the altitude and more about everything else around it uh, on the grounds that uh, I was covering the race that I was literally in so it didn't really warm I think I was like in the computer room or in the media center until about five minutes before call-ups started so I was like sitting in my skin suit typing away putting up the last race report Uh, got to the start line pretty much instantly got pulled like barely got through maybe two laps Uh, which was great because I got to cover the rest of the race from the sidelines um but in my head i was panicking quite a bit about altitude um because that had been my only experience i remember thinking like oh yeah it must be the altitude that's why i'm not doing well in this race not my complete lack of preparation and frankly my inability to race cyclocross very well despite loving it very much so very nervous heading into the race or heading heading up to altitude and you know, everyone kind of has horror stories about altitude, right? Like, you feel like people talk about it in a way that you don't really hear people talk about heat. Um, You know, people will complain about a hot race, 
But when you talk about altitude, people are like, oh, you know, you need to sleep in an altitude tent. You need to be taking XYZ supplements. You need to, uh, you know, there's the whole thing around like be there the day before or be there like two weeks before, which is like accurate. But I think the way that people talk about it is just as this big, scary thing. So as we were driving up to where we were staying, which was at like 9,500 feet, I was literally thinking about my breathing and going like, is it harder to breathe? Like as we were in the car, not like not walking around, not running, just in the car. I found myself trying to like breathe in and be like, is this air okay? Am I okay? And expecting it to be like where I couldn't breathe sitting because the hype had been so high on what altitude was going to feel like. Now, did you feel like that when you went to Leadville for the first time, like 12 years ago? Um, I don't know. You notice it like a little bit, like you said, you know, even it's sometimes you notice it when your body's not warm. So it's like walking upstairs or something. You'll notice like it just suddenly like you're a little more winded than you might normally be. Okay. That's true. Yeah. Two weeks in and I still could not walk up a flight of stairs in the morning without just feeling like I was dying. I don't know if it's, you would say it's related, but it's like when you stand up and you're sort of lightheaded because you've been like laying down and you know, whatever your heart rate's low and and that sort of stuff. And and so you have this like orthostatic hypertension. I think it's sort of like that where like you're not really doing much. And then all of a sudden you go walking upstairs and your body just has to catch up. So it's just a bigger load. Like, and so you notice it a bit more. So that perception of effort is higher there. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I, I wouldn't say like, in the car I notice it but sometimes sometimes you're like you know winded a little bit I was more thinking like psychologically do you remember being like really stressed when you went out to Leadville no but I was like I had been to raced lots of stuff and you know even at moderate altitudes and then I had an altitude tent and we had done like we did so much stuff back then and with the Spyro Tiger respiratory training which we just had that podcast talking about that as well so again like that's what luke way was saying on the podcast is like if you're used to the feeling of your breathing being quite labored which is respiratory training then you know you do have an advantage because that perception of your breathing being labored is uh, all of a sudden it's like well i do this every day for 30 minutes right right Uh, so you're pretty used to it so i don't know I, i don't think i was that stressed i mean i was worried about the race i was very stressed as we were driving so we went out uh like 12 days ahead of the race just so we could spend some time acclimating and spend some time training out there uh if anyone is interested in camping highly recommend the lowry campground in silverthorne it's beautiful um just really nice quiet little campground very tucked away very much right on a bike path trails around very very cool place um so anyway we uh we were in boulder we got to see uh sir willie the wiener and our good friend alexi uh who's been on the podcast and we've talked all about riding with dachshunds uh, dw got to meet willie it was great um but as we were driving out of boulder i was you know starting to have this panic and then i just kind of thought to myself like no you know what I'm going to be awesome at altitude. Like I'm just going, like my body is going to do well at altitude. It's not going to be an issue. And I just kind of like forced myself to, to think that. And I honestly think it was very, like a really helpful shift. Um, Because I actually did find, you know, once we got there and I was running, I didn't really notice a huge, huge difference in how hard running was Uh, almost to our advantage, we were on the top of a hill. So you pretty much had to run, you were running down or up. There was very little flat running where we were staying. And I think that actually helped me a lot because uphills always suck. Uh, so maybe they sucked a little bit more in, in Silverthorne, but uh, honestly, I, I hate uphill so much as it is that uh, 
I was probably at like working much harder, but I didn't notice it as much because I was just like, oh, it's uphill. Of course it's going to suck. And then downhill is still downhill. So you still have that advantage. Um, So I do think, honestly, just kind of telling myself I was going to be better at it or good at it really was a huge change and shift. And I think that's kind of how, how I got through the race too. Well, and this does get to perception of effort and self-talk and these sort of things. Like so much of it is like, for sure it's harder and it's harder for everyone. Mm-hmm. Again, like it just, the work, it just takes more work to do the same thing, but it's, it's a percentage. And if you can do a bit of adaptation beforehand, whether that's, you know, the seven days or whatever it is, it just is what it is. Right. And then you keep moving. But for most of us, you know, you're a fit trained person. So it being a little harder is akin to everyone's used to heat. Like it gets harder if it's, you know, these really humid, what is that like a hundred degree or 80 degree days for the Americans, you know, our 30 mm-hmm. plus days for Canadians and certainly with the humidity, like you go slower, your heart rate is higher. The perception of effort is higher. Mm-hmm. And again, even indoors, a lot of folks would feel this where it's either hot or it's boring. Uh, you know, there's no sense of inertia. Yeah, exactly. So I think, you know, the big scary monster that is altitude is really just like you said, it's just a little bit harder. Like it, it's not that you're suddenly going to be gasping for air in a way that you wouldn't be like if it was really hot or something like that. And, you know, yes, you definitely have to, if you're going really hard, you, it does take a little longer to get your breath back. But I think as long as you can not panic in that moment and just know people live up here, people exist up here, it's going to be fine. And it's hard to say because you're in the mountains, but I, I would say that like you walked a bit more than usual for like a marathon type effort. Oh, certainly. And I mean, that actually, that said though, I was actually just going to say it wasn't the altitude that got me. It's the climbing. I realized, you know, as we're coming home and I'm thinking towards a hundred, I don't climb enough. Like Mm -hmm. if anyone looks at my Strava, I run a very flat trail most days because it's right by the house and it's very easy and I really like it. I don't do enough climbing. And that is definitely what bit me in the race like it wasn't the altitude it was the fact that it was a lot of hills and like yes i've added in some hills lately but not enough not yeah mountains or or just like you know we're we're lucky we have our mini mountain right and so certainly like there's a difference between doing you know 10 repetitions of our mini mountain to get 2,000 meters of climbing versus you know running to the mini mountain going up at once and coming home is it's just a different thing right and i don't blame you or anyone else for that but Uh, i blame me wholeheartedly for not (laughs) another podcast you know that i remember we have done with steven seiler way back was the um what is his athlete needs thing right where or, oh the like the maslow hierarchy, hierarchy of yeah. endurance right and, and so it's play on maslow's but his thing is you know endurance is this big base that we have so the like are you riding your bicycle are you running frequently at a mostly at a low intensity pace main thing and then you know there was intensity and then there was the distribution of the intensity which is the steven seiler polarized stuff so of course he wants that in there and then above that you start getting into like some of these like one percent or fractions of a percent the altitude camps the training camp the supplements the whatever right like all the different things that like don't really matter that much but it, it is funny with leadville you know, it'll be all this talk and preparation for altitude, but then it's like, okay, are you riding a mountain bike on a gravel road for extended periods of time without taking like any breaks in the pedaling? Or are you mountain biking for fun, 
which is different than Leadville because Leadville, you don't like, it's you, not fun. you are on the gas working most of that race. There's a couple longer descent passes, but they are not long enough having just pre-ridden a bunch of the course. So similar with running too, is just, you know, are there things that are these like 80% benefits that you can work on for next year? Yeah. And definitely hills are going to be a big part of that. Like, yes, altitude is going to be a piece again, but I would say for me, definitely prioritizing climbing, prioritizing more efficient hiking is going to be a big part of that because especially, you know, we can, I can talk all day about what I would do differently if I was prepping for the marathon, but that's not the case. I'm prepping for the hundred miler and that's going to be probably not going any faster on the hills than I was at this one, but it's going to be, I'm going to have to go a well, lot longer. It'd be great if you could keep your pace on the hills for a hundred miles yeah, for exactly. four times the distance. Yeah, exactly. But no, this is going to be all about going you know, a lot longer. So it's going to be a lot more getting efficient on the, the hiking up the hills. That's going to be a sure. lot of like calf and hamstring. Cause like my hamstrings hurt like a week later. Sure. Not hurt, but like I so, could feel so there them. could be, yeah, there's lots of ways. And, and this might be one where, you know, a series of lead maybe we'll have David back on. We're overdue to have mm -hmm. David and Megan back on your coach. Uh, David Who we Roche. also got to meet in Boulder, which was the best. Well, that was so good. Yeah. Great people. They're like, you know, it's always like, we're really nervous. Cause we're like, what if they're completely different? But they're David not. and Megan are like, true to real life so really yeah. cool if you don't listen what is their podcast is uh, is it just some, some work it I'll is called okay, yeah. it's called swap so they're great and they're fun uh and also dw met uh addy i'm like we've met too many dogs in the last week i know it's been great uh addy is one of the authors of the happy runner <laughs> which is david and megan's book highly right. recommend also that, that book yeah for sure anyone with the self-talk like if that first pip molly was talking about about like setting your intentions and deciding you're awesome like that i i, I channel david in my coaching you for know sure. my it's problem definitely... is i didn't say i was going to be awesome on hills i said i was going to be great at altitude i forgot the hills you are a hot air balloon yeah, yeah okay. exactly uh, if i could get that vibe going i'd be golden so when we're thinking about the next year then we're thinking about you know how can we get two areas you know whether we go away in the winter a little bit to get to like a bigger hill or hotter or or possibly to a bit of altitude as well and then also just ways here locally we can use we're fortunate in calling when our little mini mountain is here so you know can we get a bike set up for you that you can lock up easily at the bottom of the hill or or just you know we, we own a vehicle so you can also drive to the hill is there anything else you're thinking you know as, as you come away from this race when you're thinking about either the next one or or, or towards the 100 miler for sure yeah i mean for me there's definitely i am someone who prefers racing one or two races a year i don't really love race days uh, i get very stressy on race mornings i'm actually totally fine at the start line i feel like I almost needed to do like a video of me like in the van an hour before the race versus me at the start line because I feel like it's a like different human almost. Um, so I probably should do a couple more like local races just to kind of tame that uh, race day. I hate my life. Why do I do this? Why do I? Why do I make us do this? What have sure. I done? Uh, the worst. It's yeah, not not my finest hour. But then in the back of my head, I always know it's going to be fine. So it's it's a very odd. Uh, self-awareness but also like uncontrollable uh, things mm -hmm. so probably a few it, race it is starts a, it is a tricky one i think it's a good one especially when you the mileage is up sometimes it's good to have races that just like you have to you know in lieu of a a, a big hard run or something you know you f sprinkle those in it's probably good and probably relates a bit to that where you said like you know when you're someone's chasing you you feel like you know and so you're you're sort of like attending to the wrong things because you exactly. don't it's like a new cue it's like well no one ever is chasing me randomly on the trails I all of a sudden not. i'm a little you know concerned about this 
very problematic if that's happening during my Whereas, long run. like, this is where we like, you know, the kids doing, you know, we have lots of great athletes have come out of our local weekly race series. And, and you know, sometimes I'm like, well, does it just youth development need to be more complicated than this, like, Wednesday night race, you know, where it's like the world championships and it's super intense because it's short. And it's like, well, no, they're not. Every week someone's chasing them and they're chasing them, mm-hmm. and then some weeks they crash. And they, they, you know, you get so many over the course of five years of a kid doing this. It's like, well, they did it. You know, 16 times five, you know, there's a lot of gameplay really, right? And really yeah, intense. So, exactly. Yeah, maybe a challenge for us is to find uh, a bit more of that as well. Yeah. And then the other thing that I, I thought was interesting, and we were sort of talking about this before we hit record, uh, was the idea of supplements at altitude. So, when you head to altitude, one thing that is just very common, you know, that people talk about is iron supplementation and even, you know, doubling up your iron supplementation and i think you know there's plenty of research that like iron at like for altitude is is a positive thing um but i don't typically take iron supplementation and we'll talk about inside tracker in a second but my iron levels are medium like they're not super high i'm not like uh, what is it hemochromatosis where you produce too much that's correct okay yeah. so it's not it's not that i'm like this over producer of iron and have amazing iron levels but i have like okay iron levels for the amount of work that i do as a female athlete um and i don't typically supplement with iron for a host of reasons that i won't bother getting into but i don't supplement with iron heading to altitude though i started second guessing that Um, But ultimately, I decided not to just because I didn't want to mess with anything, uh, do anything different on race weeks that might adversely affect my body. Like for most people, it would just be kind of benign, but I just didn't want to get into that and go down Mm. that road. Uh, But what we realized was uh, we literally have a a whole thing of liver in our freezer right now from the, the cow that we get every year. We're like, why did we not just buy some liver at a like local butcher in Colorado and just have a couple extra servings of liver if we were that worried For about sure. it? Yeah. And so, I mean, I think this gets, you know, if we think about first principles is nothing new on race day and that probably applies to race week month. Uh, as well right so most of the plans i build will have things like stop testing stuff you are using the stuff from now on like you're in it right like have your bike no late stuff and there's exceptions and i get it like sometimes the bike doesn't arrive till the week before it's your only bike or you know you blow it up and it's you gotta use a new one it gets lost all this stuff happens so similar with supplements sometimes it's you know seems like the best choice to make but we like these rules of thumb of just when there's a decision, someone hands you a, the magic pill and, and you're somewhere, you say no. Probably don't take anything someone says is a magic pill when they right. hand it to you. For and then also the other principle, I think, is that individuality where, yes, I think females, uh, endurance athletes, runners, people at altitude, basically you had like four indicators that iron would be a great idea. Like probably you don't even need to take a blood test because the the percentage of people is very small that that would not be probably beneficial for performance we'll say um but for you there is that you know you you basically you you cramp a little bit and this stuff happens sometimes anyway and we don't know if it's iron or if it's just something in iron supplements so for you that may not be true and so this is the tricky bit is that's probably true for lots of people like whey supplements are are fantastic there's a million different benefits but unless they make you poop yeah you may poop right and this is true (laughs) of most supplements that work actually is that the risk of pooping very high (laughs) very high Right. If we look at beet juice, nitrates, we look at uh, sodium bicarbonate, which is something I've used at altitude, which is just baking soda. Like you take enough baking soda, it doesn't take much, and then you feel very sick. Uh, what's the other one uh, that works that makes creatine? Creatine's pretty safe. 
it doesn't really have much downside. Uh, there's the other one, but it doesn't really matter. It doesn't make you poop either. So, uh, but most things that do work make you poop. So you got to be careful. Unless you really want to poop, in which case. <laughs> now, in the case that you want to poop, you get the beets and you blend them yeah, and you yeah. drink that. Uh, so all that to say, where were we going with that? The, the supplement, you didn't take iron, but probably it's good for a lot of people, but maybe try it. You know, if you're going to take iron, take iron. Well, or, you know, if you are concerned about iron, but you also don't want to like add a supplement. Oh, of course. Like we, we often forget the whole foods first principle because something like iron is so readily available as a supplement and so many people do supplement with it. But if you just have liver a couple times a so, week. And most, you, you're included here, like you do not usually have our liver. Like that's no. something that I get. Um, but you know, you could. I would have a bite. A dose of liver is very small and you can certainly mix this into spaghetti sauce with like a ground beef or, or whatever. And it, certainly we should acknowledge that like lots of people don't eat meat, uh, which is fine too. But if these options are available, there's lots of whole foods options. And, and I, as we thought about this this morning, I, I haven't actually seen, I need to go look now. I haven't looked, but I haven't seen this as like a, a study, a comparison of, but I'm pretty sure like there's all the micronutrients and cofactors like vitamin A that are also in beef liver. Like beef liver sometimes is touted as a superfood uh, for this reason. Like it's quite nutrient dense, but I have seen a similar study with the, uh, I just mentioned the nitrate. So nitrate rich foods beets are the popular one. But arugula, like rocket, there's another name for that. Well, conveniently, we have a ton of arugula. By the way, if someone is like looking for an easy thing to plant. Yeah, you got to go arugula. Got to go arugula. Yeah. We just like threw some seeds in some like kind of old soil and like, boom, right. we have for like, sure. a secret garden on the deck. So it's arugula fantastic. or rocket, and there's another name for it, is uh, very rich in nitrate as well. And I have seen a study where they actually compared like, it's, it's actually not an unreasonable amount that you would just eat in a salad and, you know, you have some beets and you have whatever uh, through the course of your day chronically over time rather than just on race day. And actually you can keep- uh, Do not eat a beet and rocket salad on race no, 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 morning, No, no, This is chronically versus on race day where you would have more of like a concentrated beetroot juice or something. Uh, and actually the level of nitrates just is high all the time in your body. So <laughs> So you could just Bonus. have your regular salad and then you, you could benefit from some of this nitrate rich foods, beetroot and, you know, the, the blood effects and stuff. So I, I think all that to say, I think there's probably something there, too, that like you could arrange your diet a little differently mm -hmm. uh, at, at altitude for this, this strategy as well. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Now, yeah. now, I did have one more thing on diet. You yeah. also did a great job. If we're talking about like big first principles, you know, A, did you train well? you know, intensity, Check. you know, you know, volume, intensity, intensity distribution. And then also, did you adjust your diet a for you a for or B for your training? And then C once you're in this new environment, the race week month, but also this altitude environment, there are some pretty good first principles, like basics, rules of thumb for altitude. So you also did a few things there. If you mean eating more, I definitely did that. Right. I'm very so, good at so that. So you did a little more on the carbohydrate as mm -hmm. well, uh, which is, again, just race week, race month. That's probably what you do. We also, you know, we're exercising vigorously, but because the load of going up the stairs, as we discussed, is higher. Uh, and then also the body tends to be, you could say, I think in simple terms, maybe a bit more anaerobic. I think, you know, if we really tried to simplify the why at altitude, you're going to burn a bit more sugar. So you just increase the sugar a bit. And then water also... You're, I think because you're breathing, respirating more, This, right. if I was trying to think of the mechanism there, uh, you, you just have to drink a bit more too, which then brings into sodium, which you love salt, but we I also do. tried to keep the, the electrolytes coming in as well. David and Megan served us some fizzy electrolyte drink first thing when we got to altitude. So great. kept that going throughout the trip as well. So I think those, you know, those sort of three, is that three or two things? Hydration, 
carbohydrate calories, I guess, is sort of three. Yeah, definitely, definitely focused on that. And I will say like, it was, you know, kind of chilly where we were camping. So I was drinking a lot more like herbal tea, but I was really trying to keep the caffeine from that to a, a minimum. So it was more like, you know, apple cinnamon tea versus like sure. black tea. Sure. Uh, and I think that was that was really helpful. So yeah, definitely, definitely hydrate uh, is a big one. Um, but before we get to our next question, so yeah, race went well, altitude went well, a lot of learning, uh, but really so much of it was definitely attitude. Um, but then I think obviously you, the last thing I guess maybe say on that is that yes, altitude might affect people differently. I would say you actually were more affected by it than I was. Yeah, I would say I noticed it. But again, like last time I was so fit and so prepared, this is 12 years ago, so young, uh, much younger, maybe not so young, but pretty young, pretty, pretty set pretty up. Young. So I, I don't know, like we, but we also went seven days before. I, it's hard to say. I, I would say that like, Tra- but this is also I was training versus racing, so it's and also- you were training much more vigorously than I was because right. I was sort of into the like slower, like easier runs versus like doing any major intervals but or I anything. Think also, so yes, I noticed it, but again, like I was riding for three hours up mountains uh, and exploring pretty good, uh, pretty well. So it was fine. I was able to ride my bike. I didn't like cry. I, what I noticed was there was a few times where on a mountain bike you have to work really hard for a couple seconds or, or minutes even to clear something. And there was two times where I actually like stopped on the side of the trail to like take a breath, which is not something I would normally do. Um, so like I, I just noticed that there was like, oh, when you go a little too hard and then the second week, though, I don't think that ever happened to me. So, again, a week out, things started normalizing. And I saw that with this is our HRV for training, you know, app. Uh, and my resting heart rate in the morning, I started seeing it. It never caught right back. And I think it would probably take month, if not months. But I started seeing HRV resuming a little more into our, what we call our baseline. And then that resting heart rate coming down again, still not still probably five to eight beats higher, even when we left two weeks later. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, looking but. back, I am not mad that I didn't do any HRV testing. Like I had my like I have all the tools I could have sure. done it. And I elected not to and on one hand i'm sad because it would have been interesting data like looking back but other hand i definitely and i wrote about this for canadian cycling magazine i'm much better almost not knowing and just going by feel versus seeing any kind of numbers especially when we're talking about in the context of heading towards a race this was your article on like having tons of biofeed or not biofeedback but like but like gadgets wearables and all the data and mm-hmm. so you tried to like really over it. So you didn't do it necessarily at altitude. You didn't write about that, but you wrote about that article. I think, is, is that on digital or is that in just the most recent? It'll be in the upcoming issue. So the summer or fall, maybe fall the issue. Summer issue. Summer issue of Canadian Cycling Magazine. Yeah, and I'm really excited about that article. But, and I think like there is so much val- like, you know, great data that we can access now, whether it is, you know, more of the HRV, whether it's CGMs, all that kind of stuff. I think it's super interesting, but I think it's a very slippery slope into uh, negative town, basically, uh, because it's, it's you know, a lot of the time, I don't think you're going to see the, uh, the stuff that you really want to see, especially like heading into a race. You know, we get to altitude. Of course, my HRV would be compromised because you're at altitude. And I think even 10 days prior to the race, if I had seen that, Sure. It would have stressed no, me No, and out. race, I think that's even what Marco from HRV for training, Marco one of our most common guests, that. he's always like, try and hide it. And actually his app has a hiding uh, function. Uh, Which I love. So few well. apps have that. 
uh but he would say like race day like you you have one decision like you don't have a decision like you're going so don't like you don't need any more information right like this is when we're making decisions sometimes it's great to have more information and we wait for more information but sometimes it's there is no decision to be made like the you get out by going to the finish line so <laughs> proceed exactly uh sean allen also we just had on talking about that and i think you actually spoke towards that article mm-hmm. in that that podcast as well yes yes and she's in the article as well uh, okay Perfect. Um, On the note of data, though, before we get into our recovery question that we have, uh, I did want to talk about today's sponsor, which is Inside Tracker. So when it does come to data, I think, uh, you know, blood biomarkers are a fantastic uh, intro on the the data front because it's sort of that uh, once in a while check in versus this like. And this relates to both our questions today, because we have the going to altitude. There is a recommendation actually to take blood uh, i believe pre and post the pre would let you decide if you really should take iron or Mm -hmm. not you know if some of especially uh uh, men can be more likely to be you know high enough uh so you might not want to add more iron to that uh and then for women it might just add confidence to that uh and then our next one's around recovery and so much of recovery is related to you know how is your body you know functioning as certainly on the health and wellness front yeah and i mean there's so many people out there who are doing all of these activities who are reasonably fit and whose doctors may not prescribe a lot of blood work Mm -hmm. because you know you're you're still existing you're still running i know a lot of my friends who are still running you know 50 60 70 miles a week they feel like crap and then you know if they're talking to a doctor the doctor's just like oh you know just you're you're still running you're still functioning uh we know a lot of pro cyclists who've had this happen they're still racing or they're still riding and the doctor is just kind of like oh you know just either take a rest week or like you're fine because you're still a fun you know you can still ride so you're still functioning enough that we don't need to worry about anything being physiologically wrong uh but a lot of the time there actually there actually is something and getting sort of a full blood panel done can sort of highlight where there may be cause for concern or cause to look at something a little bit deeper. So uh, personally, we've been using Inside Tracker for going like quite a few years now. We've pretty regularly done it. So it's great to have that basis of comparison even. So we can kind of look back on, you know, five years ago, where were we? Last year, where were we? Uh, and just have those markers, be able to share that with the doctor, with the naturopath. Um, personally, I think it actually does end up saving money in the long run, even though you're paying for it out of pocket. Um, I think ultimately it saved me so much time and even money with like naturopaths sure. and stuff like that. Yeah, because so. you do have the choice if it looks clear and good, then, you know, proceed. Uh, or if it's, you know, what you expect, if you're always a little low on iron, you're going to go to altitude and it's, it's, you're still low on iron, then, you know, you maybe already have that set up, but it does give you confidence. Uh, in, in my case, you know, I'm getting blood work here just this week. And this is sort of after that altitude dose, uh, as well. And just see, you know, it, it can be interesting to see, is there like blood changes in those red blood cells, uh, as mm-hmm. well so that can I, be sometimes interesting as well to see like is the training doing what you expect it's you know not always the case but yeah and i mean what we've found actually just speaking from the the canadian side but even from the u.s side it's hard to get a doctor to requisition blood work but if you have the blood work that you can then show him it actually has been easier to requisition follow-ups on certain blood markers that we want to be testing more regularly if there was sort of a yellow or a red flag Uh, So we've been able to basically parlay the inside tracker blood work into a doctor requisitioning blood work that, you know, then you're not paying for because insurance is covering it. So, again, ultimately, I think the cost savings are actually fantastic, Um, even if it is you're paying out of pocket up front and highly recommend the mobile blood draw. You have to use it in Canada. You can use it in the U.S., but oh, my gosh, talk about easy. 
I have so many clients that it's, you know, the getting there, it's not the money, it's not the, uh, you know, the doctor keeping them from doing it. it. It's just strictly getting to, you know, an hour, you know, probably three hours, right? Once you're there and parked and everything else. So yeah, this is a way where you can do it between, you know, the, in the morning routine. Yes. Cannot recommend enough. And you can check it out over at insidetracker.com backslash consummate. You get 20% off the entire inside tracker store. Just use the code consummate or head over to insidetracker.com backslash consummate. And we will include that link in the show notes. And on the note of understanding your body and understanding if you're recovered enough, one of the questions we have been getting is recovery after races for older adults. And this can be, we can kind of interpret this question in two ways. We were kind of almost arguing about it as we talked through it because I read it and I think of more of the lifestyle. Older adults, I'm going to include us in that to this point, but largely. Well, I think older adults, I might have written, uh, I don't even know if that was in the question, but they don't mean, so sometimes older adults can mean like, you know, you're getting into your 70s, 80s and that sort of thing. Um, so I don't, uh, I think this, we're just going to say like adults, you know, so I read this as our, our usual client, you know, busy people who have jobs, who have families, who have other obligations outside of racing. Right. So, you know, uh, I do a lot of articles for bicycling about you know, what the pros are doing after a Tour de France stage or stuff like that, where we're talking about recovery sure. for pro racers who literally are just racing. That is their livelihood. That is their life. It looks so different for the average person. I mean, so many people I know, your rest day is your biggest work day usually, right? Like that's when we're trying to schedule all of the errands, all of the major work things, all of the, you know, kid stuff, all of the time with the kids, like all of that is happening on our rest days. And then we're confused why we're not recovered uh, for our workout the next day. Mm. Well, and there's so much wrapped up in that, as we were arguing before this, you know, there's sort of the the percentage points again this to me is that one percent like the difference between what the tour de france person does and then you know what a pretty good person who has a job and stuff does we have, there's lots of examples of you know some of them are top you know the unbound race and stuff right like there's a few of them that have full-time jobs and kids and, and so it's obviously that they're not just getting driven to the race in their tour de france bus with their compression boots on and you know all this stuff so the, the percentage difference isn't huge, but there's that, okay, so they have the extra couple percent. There's age probably in a lot of cases. There's maybe genetic, you know, a lot of these uncontrollable things. We can't control genetics, we can't control age. You already have your kids, you already have your job, you need the job, you like your job, hopefully. Uh, you know, you like all the other things. I think that's even the bigger narrative with our consummate athlete idea is like the extra two percentage points just aren't worth it for most of us, right? No. There's so much more to life, like go and live your life and still be pretty good at biking. That's pretty awesome. Uh, but be able to do your run or go for a walk or go on vacation with your family. It's all great. So that rant and then expectations is the big one that we really can control. This is you saying, I'm going to be good at altitude. It's not going to be that big of a deal. I'm going to control the controllables. Uh, and I'm going to put a smile on my face and, and dance up those mountains. Okay, did not dance up the mountains. But to that note, I also had the expectation. It's funny when we got to the start line, I turned to you and I smiled and I said, I'm not going to win. Because I saw that my friend Ellie, who's been on the podcast before, was there. And she is a monster I was going to suggest hills. you were not positive, but she did smoke you. <laughs> she did totally smoke me. So that's another podcast. We have a lot of podcasts to relax, but Ellie Powell was on. She, and she was great. She met us. Uh, yeah, she was at the finish line cheering on people. And yeah, great, great human. Yeah, she's she's fantastic. I, she, it was funny before the race. She's like, you know, my hamstrings have been bothering me a little. So if you need to just go ahead, just like go right ahead like it'll but it'll, it'll be nice to run with someone for a few miles and i was just like 
<laughs> this is going to be funny. And yeah, the gun went off and I was like, see you later. Cause it started with like five miles of uphill and I was not gonna, not gonna try to keep up for that. But anyway, uh, point being like pretty quickly, my expectations even in race kind of adjusted for that. And it wasn't that, okay, now I'm just like going to fall behind and not fight for every spot, but it was very much a like, I'm not going to win because I'm up against a professional runner who has top 10 in Western States and I've seen climb sure. up hills like a mountain goat. And you can't control. I, yeah, I have nothing to do with that. And so this is during the race, I think is important. And so we had the expectations as you go to altitude, we had the expectations during any race. And I think a lot of people get in trouble here because expectations versus reality, I believe equals happiness, but also equals how close to your potential you're going to go. This is mm -hmm. the classic... I tell this, this is the go around tactic. I'm not big on tactics in cycling or, or in anything, but one of my, the best tactics I know that work is you go around someone and then suddenly they're 10% worse. I don't know how it works, but when you go around them, their expectation that they were going to be in the front or that you shouldn't be in front of them shatters a lot of people. And it's not because you attacked, it's just you went in front of them. You you said you actually prefer to be not behind or, or, or sorry, you don't like people behind you chasing you. So some people you can work over that way. Just sit on them and sit on them and sit on them. Maybe talk to them. Yeah, that would wreck. The talking actually is like my favorite thing to do. Um, so you have to be careful because expectations can really change your perception of effort. Suddenly it's harder because that person is in front of you or looks like they're going quickly. It may or may not be true, but you're still trying to get to the finish line with your potential. So that, that this is all sort of like setting up expectations. So after the race, unless you want to go further down that, but I think no, we I should think stay good. on this this question about after the race. After the race, it's very so you drove home and you basically you ran twice or three times maybe during that next week. Most of them were very unremarkable for you, like five k, you know, short, you know, 30, 60 minute at most. Uh, but certainly you took three days completely no running. Yes, and it would have been a very, very recovering, ba recovery-based Sunday if someone hadn't booked a stand-up oh, paddleboarding. We did paddle recovery paddleboarding, but I mean, we sat. It was good. It wasn't that, that stressful. That was great. Yes. Um, so that's the expectation. The the poor expectation would be I, for some reason, can train the next day, which no one would do. Not even the Tour de France people, like unless they're in the Tour de France. But you know, they would not necessarily do their intervals the next day, right? For most of us, this is not. So Monday, you know, the day after the race, the expectation is you're not, you're going to be tired. You, you should have emptied yourself. You know, even if you feel like you're, it's okay, you recovered okay from the race, the expectation is don't train certainly that, you know, the next day or two or three. And if they're ultra or, or very vigorous, you know, long things, this is week or weeks uh, that we're going to have to have expectations that are, we will not be ready to train yet. I always say like the hundred miler last year was the lowest mileage month I've ever had in my life or not in my life, right. but like in my last three years of training, that hundred miler lowest month because I took so much time off afterwards. Right. Uh, what I was going to say actually though, is when you mentioned that the post race thing to me, I would almost look at it as a negative. If I could do a workout the next day, like if I thought I could go do intervals the next day, or I felt good on intervals the next day, if I, had intervals the next day for some reason or sure. any kind of this workout is the importance of the plan yeah, yeah. <laughs> if my plan for some reason was like go out and do a hard workout the next day i would be so mad at myself if i could go out and do that because that to me would be like oh so i didn't race as hard as i could have and there's again it's not even worth discussing but like the, the there's a situation where someone may do that 
so Tour it's not wrong or, or whatever right like you race a 5k on saturday and then the next day maybe you would have a three-hour run that finishes moderate up a hill or, or something to this effect because it's in the plan right right and, and you do 100 milers so like you're gonna have to exist for 24 hours where you run so this is something that maybe you would do so there are those but that wouldn't be like your bread and butter and certainly wouldn't be most of the time uh, so that expectation, so that's the day. Most people will like nod their head and agree with me on the day. It, it's when we start pushing it out to like three days or we push it out to a week or you push it out to the end of the season where you take a month off or, or something right. from your main sport. And, and this isn't even to say that you don't, because we're not even talking about just running for you or biking for a cyclist. This could be in that week after the big race or, or the race, you might do it. But you didn't do a long run. You didn't do a group run. You didn't do an interval run. Did not. You, you just ran a, what we call, I call an unremarkable workout, right? And, and even under your normal, like, what do you call it? Your fancy business run where it's just, you know, you do 10 miles. Mm-hmm. Not a lot happened during it, right? So this is the tricky bit is the expectations is that the race is demanding and it takes some time to come back. And so this is where do you recover slowly because you're old or you suck or anything like this? Or is it just it takes a while to recover properly to then resume training? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's just such an important thing to, to remember. And, you know, it's very easy to get in your head, especially, you know, if you have friends who didn't race that weekend and are, you know, just back at just doing their normal thing. Sure. Or, or aren't following a plan or don't have, you know, also, apologies for like the thunder in the background. We're having like a death storm over the house right now. I don't know. I'm having like mean Garth Brooks thunder roll songs. This is, I don't know. Yeah, sort so of a throwback, but now I'm going to have thunder road by Springsteen okay. in my head, which is a much Maybe better more popular. choice. So expectations. So I think, you know, expectations minus reality, happiness. I really like that. Uh, it, it also probably relates to performance because happiness, you know, and performance and perception of effort. So do, are you recovering slowly? And so I would look first at like, are you trying to edge these sooner? So let's assume it's not like a big race and, and you could recover with a younger athlete. You know, you might be bold and go for like a Tuesday so you take one day off or two days off. So Saturday race or Sunday race, and then you take Monday off. And then Tuesday is often a harder day. I've been guilty of making this mistake where we rush the Tuesday and it probably should be Wednesday. And so Tuesday may be, you know, a, a longer, slower workout in some cases. It might just be, you know, what we, you know, for you, maybe like a five to 10 mile run for a lot of my clients would be just a 90 minute endurance ride nothing special and then maybe try again you know go for it midweek on wednesday and then you're into your week as normal whatever that means right uh that's probably again i see that mistake and i've made it a lot of times where you rush to get back onto the usual tuesday if that is usual for you or for some reason maybe you have a saturday race the next week and you just you rush that tuesday and it's just often not worth it i think you want to get your body rolling again after the full off day so, so there's that. So there's that's the programming piece. And then I guess, do we want, is there sexier stuff around recovery? Uh, it's hard to say because I think our version of the sexy stuff is like, actually make sure that you're sleeping and taking a little bit of downtime after the race and that you're getting in the meal. So, you know, coming back to those first class basics, right? Like when you finish the race, did you have 
some carbs, some protein? Did you get rehydrated, especially after these hot races? Uh, you know, did you go right back into family life and all, and you know, this, that, and the other thing and getting the, the kids ready for school the next day and finishing that work assignment and all that. So you didn't go to bed till 1am and didn't, you know, get any sleep. Um, so I think, you know, before you start worrying that there's something wrong with you, it's first thinking the the more psychological expectations, reality, happiness piece, then the practical, did I actually do sort of the the food, the sleep, all of that recovery stuff? Am I training like, you know, you just heard this. I think most people can say whether or not they've been reasonable with their training the week after. Uh, if you're not sure, you can always book a consult with Peter right. to talk through your training yeah, schedule. Yeah, sometimes it's hard. We, we hold ourselves like I, I go out and try and do Tuesday intervals all the time. It's hard, I just yeah. told you that it was a bad idea. I still try it. <laughs> and I find it less and less common. Again, there's a switch there somewhere where my body just often, and this can even be like, you know, if I have a good week of training, it just often... Tuesday is not the best day for that. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I'm trying to learn, you know, that, you know, I could still do starts. I could still do coordination with some spin ups. I could even probably ride my mountain bike for technical training and just not go super hard, trying to be careful. And then maybe that's a bit of a warm up opener for Wednesday. I, I think that all works. But it's just, again, the expectation is not a super structured, super focused set the world on fire interval session it's probably better to say and again there's there's individual variation there yeah and then i mean last piece though is if this is just a regular thing if after you know every weekend race or not you're you know just a long ride you're feeling like you just can't get on top of recovery and you've changed things you know you've tried the training you've tried the the eating the hydration the sleep you've tried all that it is worth checking in with a doctor, maybe getting some blood work done, because there are some things that, you know, can develop as we get older that actually could be preventing you from recovering. Sure. Uh, so, you know, it is worth checking, you know, those iron levels, all that fun stuff. Uh, and I think you said world class basics. So, you know, there's the blood work. There's the are you sleeping? You know, and, and we can all be pretty honest with that. I think like, do you sleep well? Yes or no? Is there anything you can change? Like, it's an annoying thing, but it is like, and then maybe there's a reason. Maybe you have a newborn, and uh, okay, you're gonna have to be a little more gentle on yourself. Um, and then nutrition, right? Like when someone is recover has soreness or is recovering slowly, there's sort of two sides of that, right? There's okay, did you work really really hard? Are you working too hard? Are you trying to cram too much, too many hours? Is there a magical number in your head you're trying to keep? And or are you trying to lose weight like a lot of people and they're really focusing on power to or sorry on the weight side of the power to weight and are you running it too low and that could be intentional or not there could also be that you're trying to push the volume up but you're forgetting there needs to be more fuel if you're pushing the volume up you know you're riding outside all of a sudden you know whatever you've switched to a new diet is there anything in that that sort of the fuel or the work that would say you're not recovering you're always sore and then if not when in doubt try eating more before and during the workout. Usually we're not eating anything during the workout, so this would be a spot to start. But also that breakfast, if your breakfast is what it is, add more, right? This is an extra piece of toast. This is whatever, uh, just to try and get more in there and see, is this an actually starting to be like an energy availability piece where you just feel like junk every time you train because there's no fuel in the tank, so to speak, or, or mm -hmm. low fuel in the tank. I think world-class basics, that's, sort of the main thing get a blood test regularly uh fuel train 
Uh, I do think, you know, if you were curious about this, some of the life stress stuff, I heard Marco Altini of uh, HRV for training on a podcast, and, and this is the first time I've heard him say this, you know, the life stressors often have more effect on the HRV in a training athlete. He said five times, I think. Um, so, you know, you have a really crummy day at work, you know, you're up all night with the kids. This is going to have more disruption to that HRV huh. uh, and perhaps the heart rate, the resting heart rate. He also talks a lot about, this is a newer thing. He said it the last time he was on the podcast too, and this is something I've done for a long time, is is most of us who are, are fairly fit, regular training athletes probably sh- should take that morning reading. He's a big fan of the morning reading versus the overnight that a lot of the whoops and the auras and stuff will do. Take the morning reading and take it either seated or standing. I do it much just on the toilet. I sit down, go to the washroom, and then just take the reading sitting on the toilet. And then that way the bathrooms are pretty the same across the world. So it keeps my environment pretty controlled and the doors locked no one can you know come in and interrupt the reading seated so there's a little more orthostatic uh stress if you will a little more stress on the heart and stuff just because you're seated and then maybe you see a bit more so i would say if you've tried hrv or not and you're curious about recovery there may be some answers on the long term if you actually put some time into using something like hrv for training where maybe you can see when you return to baseline or if it is disrupted so you do a big race molly did her big marathon then we drove all the way home over three days I would suspect there would be disruption for her. And then maybe by Friday, Saturday, that at least is resuming. So we get a little sense that at least um, centrally, you know, you're recovering. Conveniently, then we didn't sleep Saturday. So just really partying at this payable oasis. Yeah. So that, but you might still have muscular fatigue. So this is, I don't know if you want to go down that, like there can be different types of fatigue as well, which is where, again, we want to arrange the training and plan a little bit, but um, hopefully that makes it. So you can sort of test some of these aspects of, of fitness or sorry, of, of fatigue uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Well, I think we have so many episodes that everyone needs to go back to and listen now that we've uh, cited. I do have Steven, one more Steven, Ellie, Marco. All right. Okay. Hit us with it, so, and then we'll wrap it up. Well, you were up. giving a list of podcasts. you want to list those again? I'll try and get them all in the show notes. Uh, Steven Seiler, Ellie Pell, Marco Altini, and David and Megan. David and Megan have both been on. Uh, was there another one? I guess that's that's most of them. I'll try and get them all into the show notes. The, the other piece that we didn't touch, which is sort of first, uh, you know, it is a basic, but it becomes before and between the training in that, you know, if, if you don't train very much, and then you go and run a... a, a whatever insert the crazy thing you want to do i'm sure it's awesome it's great you can do it but if it is a big dose versus your average day it's gonna take a long time it's gonna be a disruption for you especially you know well not even especially with runners but runners there's gonna be like if you go and run a marathon today you can probably finish it it'll be a run walk it'll be all a walk you will not walk well tomorrow and that will having done things like this like it could persist for weeks if not Mm -hmm. months that neuromuscular muscular fatigue if not injury and then uh you know just even we could say physiologically or centrally the fatigue from something you know way different than normal so even something as innocuous as a cyclocross innocuous as a cyclocross or a mountain bike cross-country race you know 60 to two and a half hours say if you train on average 30 minutes a day, on average 30 minutes a day across the last six weeks plus, probably it's three months, but if we use TSS and, and training stress language, this is the last six weeks, what is your average day? Uh, we've talked about before, most of my clients, and these are pretty serious endurance athletes, 30 to 70 TSS per day. You do something like, I don't know, Leadville or something like that, it's going to be like in the 300s, could be 400s uh, for TSS in that day. So this is 
10 times. So the recovery is going to be very, very hard. If you're an elite, you're going to be up in the 110s, 120s, you know, plus or minus of this TSS per day. So that's to say that on an average day, you ride three hours a day. That probably makes sense. 18 hours a week about, you know, plus minus probably down to 12s, 10s, and then up to 25s, 30s. But the dose of a six hour Leadville race to someone who trains 18 hours a week, it's just not that much. Will they be mm-hmm. tired in the days to week before, after? For sure. But they're, they'll be back, right? But for the rest of us, when we train not so much, you know, we're lucky to average an hour a day, seven hours a week, you know, a, a 10 hour, 12 hour, 24 hour race is going to kick you in the, <laughs> in the butt. Right. So again, this is where expectations and, and reality come together is that if you want to uh, absorb these or be more, uh, what's the term they use now? Uh, we'll just say absorb them, recover from them better. It is on that training load and that volume. That was the base of Steven Siler's pyramid. If you have a bigger base, you recover faster. So this is where can you find a three-hour ride on the weekend? Can you train? You know, and this is mostly low intensity, right? So this is where I would also look at recovery. You, you, we talked about, you know, it's it's usually not a magic potion or a fancy boots that massage your legs or massages. You know, as much as we like massages, and the boots that or massage a, your or legs, or a supplement, or a special diet, or a special interval. It's it's really just do you bikers bike right i guess we'll go back to like the dan johns of like runners run bikers bike you know Mm -hmm. first principles love it also uh side note before we wrap up um on the note of world-class basics we did have a guy at the 24 hour who uh came up and started talking to peter about how much he liked our book becoming a consummate athlete which is now three years old which is like shocking to me i don't know where the last three years have gone uh but if you if you're new to the podcast we do have a book that really outlines a lot of sort of our our world-class basics from training to goal setting to you know gear organization and everything in between so if you haven't checked it out uh, we'll include a link to that in the show notes uh and with that i think we will wrap this one up for the week thanks so much for tuning in thanks for all the questions uh please keep them coming hit us up over at consummateathlete.com or at consummate athlete on instagram uh, if you like the show do us a huge favor hit the subscribe button leave us a rating or review it will not net me a new dachshund but hope springs eternal <laughs> all right thanks for tuning in we'll see you next week thanks so much for tuning in to the consummate athlete podcast if you want to hear more training racing and endurance sport advice make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review you can also subscribe to our newsletter at consummateathlete.com for a weekly dose of inspiration and advice straight to your inbox